0: The Great American Outdoors Act. Now, it's passed the House, it's passed the Senate, and it's now up to President Trump to sign it into law, which, fortunately enough, has been signaling that he'd be doing that. Now, I know, better yet, I've learned, all right, how important the passing of this act will be for our national parks uh, and wildlife conservation efforts but I'm honestly curious to know how will this act affect parks in urban communities in big cities like mine? I honestly don't know, and I'm really interested in finding out. So if you know, please share by shooting me an email at when the hunt calls at gmail.com. Send me a link to an article, whatever's available, or just let me know your thoughts. I really like to hear from y'all again. That's when the hunt calls at gmail.com. Now, I don't know what you guys are using by ways of Game Calls this fall, but I highly encourage you to check out Nor'easter Game Calls. Mark, or better yet, Mac, <laughs> owner of the company and creator of all the calls, is like a dang Van Gogh when it comes to his creations. He's got a regular 9 to 5, but when he gets home, he heads into his shop and just creates these beautiful custom calls that just get the job done. If you're going to be out in the field and you really want to get them in close, Visit nor'eastergamecalls.com and check out what Mark has to offer. Now, another tool that I've been mastering is the Onex Hunt app. It's the number one GPS app, and I can see why. With it, I'm able to do some scouting from the comfort of my own home, and when I'm out in the field, I'm able to confirm what I've seen on the app and plan accordingly. Another dope feature of the app is the on I'm sorry. The offline. I was about to say online map, but like I was saying, the another dope feature of the app is the offline map. Um, like so, basically the area that I'm gonna hunt this fall won't have a strong cell signal. So when I'm home, I can download a map of the land that I'm hunting, save it on my phone, and pull it up even when I've got zero cell signal. How you like them apples? Now, uh, go check out. Onyx at www.onyxmaps.com. And last but not least, I finally got some of my own merchandise. Yes, there is now Urban Archery NYC gear available online for men, for women, for kids. We've got something for everyone. Check out my online store at teespring.com slash store urban archery NYC. Teespring is T-E-E-S-P-R-I-N-G dot com slash stores slash Urban Archery NYC. The link will be available in the show notes. Now, enough with the plugs. Here's my intro music. welcome ladies and gents to episode 32 of when the hunt calls i'm your host cliff cadet now my guest today did me a huge solid after my original guest canceled on me this dude gladly stepped in now who is this knight in shining armor he is none other than aj Iaquinta, creator of knights of the apex like how i did that knight in shining armor knights of the apex Ah you get it. Now uh, I wanted to interview AJ for a minute now. He's got some awesome content, some awesome why am I stuttering or basically or not speaking clearly. He's got some awesome content on Instagram and YouTube and I wanted to bring him on today because I really wanted to pick his brain and see if he could offer new archers and or bow hunters some advice on purchasing their first bow. So open years there, people, and check out my conversation with AJ Iaquinta.
1: All right, all right ladies, and, ladies and, gentlemen, and
0: gentlemen.
1: Um, on the line with me is AJ Iaquinta. All right, um, founder, owner, all of the above of Coda, Knights of the Apex. All right. Welcome, AJ, man. Appreciate you taking the time out to speak to me today. Thanks, man. I appreciate
2: it. Love uh, following along on your page and seeing you shooting, doing some urban archery practice where you're at. So it's, it's awesome. I'm from uh, Long Island, so former
1: New Yorker myself. So I love seeing guys get after it up there. Appreciate that. And and uh, I'm a fan of your page as well. Um, dude, just, just the quality. You could take pictures of a rock. I'd probably like it on Instagram. <laughs> well, like, the quality, the quality of your pictures are so dope, man. It's it's hard not to not to follow, not to be interested in what you're doing. So um, you know, take a second, introduce yourself, tell everybody about you know what exactly Coda stands for, what it is.
2: For sure, yeah. Um, so Coda, it's uh, it's just the acronym for Knights of the Apex, so K O T A. Um, you know, Knights of the Apex. I came up with that name because uh, as hunters, right, we're we're, we're the top predators. We're at the apex, right. Of, uh, of this planet, but we're also protectors of those animals that we love and we hunt, right. We're, we're in a unique role on this planet. Um, so I kind of see us kind of like knights. you know, we can be as aggressive as we want to be, or as, you know, caring and and empathetic and, um, you know, our role is also as protectors. So that's kind of where that came from. I also, I graduated from the university of central Florida. So, uh, you know, Hashtag go Knights. So that, that played (laughs) in a little bit. Uh, and the page, the page was just really, it it just kind of, you know, thank you so much for complimenting the pictures. It was for me going back, even just a couple years ago, there, there wasn't, I was just not happy with the quality of kind of gear content that was out there for archery. Uh, I was a big uh, gun guy and hunting guy growing up and there's tons of awesome photographers in that space and just, endless blogs and videos and YouTube reviews for things like that. But there wasn't that same volume, um, in the archery space. So, and for me, it kind of happened at a time where I was getting frustrated, being reliant on other people working on my stuff for me. So I started just working on my own gear and, and educating myself and just absorbing as much information as I can. And, you know, there's a lot of ways to go about archery because it's it, at the end of the day, it's about finding the right combination of gear to get the most out of you as a person, because this is a, all a mental game. Um, so, you know, one person's teachings might not 100% be the best for you. A lot of times you got to kind of do the Bruce Lee thing, right? Be like water, my friend, like, like pull those (laughs) little nuggets of gold from different sources and until you kind of come upon your own combo. Um, so I just started sharing that and just really wanted to make the coolest photos and content that I could. And. Photography thing just sort of spiraled and I think now that's probably what the page is best known for is is, uh, You know gear photos and um, which is really cool for me because I I Just try and stay transparent with everything and like Mm -hmm. this is my affiliation with the companies that I'm you know I'm doing reviews or I'm doing photos for just so Mm -hmm. people know like I'm not just trying to sell them crap like my you know, and if I am like, here's here's where it is. This is my affiliation. This is how I'm linked with this company. Take that mm-hmm. for what it's worth, and make your own decision about it. But I'm not. You know, the page, the purpose of the page is not to shove product down people's throats. It's to just be like an open forum where you can just follow cool gear and. People will jump in the comments with their own variations and what's worked for them and what hasn't and some of their concerns. And it's been a really positive experience uh, for the
1: two years, two and a half years that I've been doing it. Nice. Nice. Well, I mean, I think it's your 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 total transparency is is one of the main things that people um, like or value in your content, because it's the truth. It's like you said, you don't shove product down anybody's throat it's kind of i i would like to say i try to do the same i don't know if i'm 100% successful but for for example i'll shoot i shoot a specific broadhead um but i'll be honest i didn't shoot a ton of broadheads i didn't test them it's literally i shoot uh to be specific i shoot a flick of broadheads right
0: mm-hmm. now
1: i didn't test a bunch of different broadheads um the way i came across them the um not the owner, but the marketing marketing guru for them reached out to me, told me they fly just like the the field tips, the field points. And I tested that, and they did. So I yeah. like the fact that I didn't have to adjust my, my bow at all, you know, uh, once yep. I put the broadheads on. So I stuck with them. I made my first kill with them. Um, and I just try to be as transparent as possible and let, you know, my followers know the same thing. So I – I can appreciate what you're doing and I know you know those who follow you on social media appreciate the same. Well, thanks. Um, yeah, I
2: think it's important.
1: And and the relationships like you met, you talked to the
2: marketing guy. I think that's another thing. Like if if the products are good and you like the people backing it and that are working at that company, there's nothing wrong with picking that. You know, it's it's like when you know, Dudley jumped from PSE from Hoyt to PSE. Those are both great products. You know, mm-hmm. like if if you're getting an opportunity and it's a, a solid product and you know you're not compromising yourself, like there's nothing wrong
1: with supporting good people. No, exactly. And that's you know what's funny is before I even got any of their broadheads, I got on the phone with this guy. His name is Chris Creed. Mm-hmm. great guy and we spent an hour on the phone just talking and we weren't even talking about his broadheads nothing like that. yeah just talking about life talking about hunting him learning about me me learning about him and that was it and i don't think it was until like a second or third conversation that it was like oh check out these broadheads you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. so so that was pretty cool um so let me let me ask you because you touched on on um i guess your experience hunting can you be like uh, get a little bit more into detail like how'd you get into hunting or archery for sure so my i came from
2: a family of hunters my grandparents okay. they have uh some land in upstate new york mm. up in the Catskills. so we would every weekend right we were going up there right we my, nice. my family were from long island Blue collar. We'd work in framing, machining, uh, and then on the weekends we'd go up there, blow some steam off. If it wasn't hunting season, we were riding four wheelers and dirt bikes, and if it was hunting season, right, the woods were quiet and we were out hunting. Uh, and then you know we'd meet up for a big Italian lunch at, uh, <laughs> at around one, two o'clock, and then we'd be back out there for for sunset. So I grew up uh, in a hunting family. I didn't, you know, I, I did it a lot when I was younger, and then high school, college, you start you know, going after uh, different sort of hunting. And then, uh, <laughs> after, and then, uh, you know, after college, once I started to kind of settle into my career a little bit more, had a little bit of, you know, a little bit of free change in my pocket. That's when I started getting into bow hunting. Um, and that's really when, what always frustrated me about bow hunting was just the lack of um, adequate knowledge. Like there up until really recently, like nobody had like a system for kind of learning how to shoot correctly, unless you happen to know a pro shooter or have one at your local range. Um, so I just never felt like the bows that I had fit me. I never felt like the gear was right. Like it always just felt very awkward. Um, and then just you know through trial and error and learning stuff and coming up upon other guys that are that were making content. And thankfully YouTube kind of came about when it did. Um, you know, when I started, when I finally had like a system that was working, I, you know, I, and I could see tangible results. That's when I really just got into it. Um, and, but I'm by no means, like, I'm not like a a killer, like your Aaron Snyder's or Levi Morgan's or Brian Barney's, right? I'm that guy that I get to seriously hunt, you know, one, two weeks, and then I'll get to like casually go hog hunting and stuff a weekend here or there. So for me, it's super important for me to be squared away with my gear and my shooting, because I might not get another opportunity that year. So for me, it's such a mental game, you know, and this, I just got back from Total Archery Challenge in Utah and that was the best i probably ever shot it. That came home with all my arrows. And for me to be able to now roll into the season coming up with that confidence that my stuff squared away, um, mm-hmm. it's just so
1: vital because I need all the help I can get when there's an animal in front of me. <laughs> I, I can totally, uh, what do you call it? Relate to that. Cause that's why sometimes I, I've gotten flack from other people that say I should be out in the field um a little bit more but which you know what i agree because the more more time you spend out in the field the better mm-hmm. um it, it, it uh, more than likely will translate into a higher rating success but i make a choice to be home you know i've got wife yep. i got kids so what i do is i take that advantage and i take advantage of that of being home and shoot at like my mother-in-law's yep. driveway so that way if and when the time comes that animal presents that shot opportunity, um, I can't blame it on you know uh, it jumping the string or which no. say, you know a deer does. You know, so I shouldn't even bring that up. I can't blame the wind. I can't blame um, something was in my in my way. I should be able. I should be a skilled enough shot to make it. So that way, you know, what I'm saying, just take advantage of the practice. But um, but people will say what they will say. You know.
2: And that's real, man.
1: I mean, I appreciate you doing that. Cause like, listen, I would
2: love to be in the field more too, you know, but it's like, you got to hustle and grind. Like code is my side hustle. It's not, you know, it's not my, my source of income. It's so, you know, it's just something fun that that is, uh, you know, starting to to pick up a little bit, but you got to make that time for that family and stuff. Because otherwise, when you're in the woods, you're just going to feel
1: guilty anyway. So agreed, agreed. Like last season, my, was my first deer season. Only went out a total of three days, and that was mainly because my daughter started playing organized volleyball for the first time, and my youngest yep. son played organized basketball. I'm mm-hmm. not missing i I'm not missing a game, man. No, <laughs> you know say, but um, let's let's jump into. You you know your reviews that you do with Coda like what goes into that like what do you when you're picking something to review is there something is there something that you're interested in like oh this looks pretty cool I'd like to try that out or is yeah. it our our brands like just like hey AJ we'd like to get your opinion on this like how's that work
2: so it's starting to become more the the later but uh, you know early on it's just stuff that. I wanted to try, and that interests me. And you know, most of the stuff I'm buying myself. Like I, I get very few things for free. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's just things that that I was. I've been all of my stuff. It's very organic. Like if you see me posting about it, it's because that's what I'm working on. You know, mm-hmm. so when I'm doing arrow builds, it's because I'm building arrows for myself or my buddies. If I'm doing bow builds, same thing, right? If I'm out hunting, it's because I'm out hunting. I don't bank a lot of content. Um, just because, mm-hmm. one, I'm too ADD, I'll forget about that content <laughs> if I have it saved somewhere. Um, but I think, you know, it, it's it's just easier for me in the moment to just kind of share what I'm working on and, and tinkering with. And then, you know, the, the YouTube thing, that started more recently because I started noticing, like, Instagram, you post something, and it kind of disappears in a day or two, right? Yep. Um, so the YouTube, what I'm trying to do is questions that I get regularly, products that I get asked about regularly, try and take a little bit more time and make, you know, a, a well thought out video, the, the video thing, it's, you know, speaking and I'm sure that people listening to this feel, feel the same way after listening to me, but it's not like the, my best medium for expressing myself. I'm, I think I'm a better writer, but it's, you know, now everything is video. I had a website where I was writing reviews. Nobody cared. You know, so. <laughs> uh, but with the with YouTube, you know, I'll try and I'm trying to make that more of like a library of kind of FAQs, right? Like frequently asked questions. Like, you know, the the Matthews VXR is probably the most popular bow. So one of my buddies bought that. I made sure we had some solid time behind it, and then we did a review of it. Same thing when I bought the PSE, shot it for a couple months, had a few hundred arrows through it, and then you know I, I got down to you know what is the important stuff that I want people to know about. Uh, and I'll do the same thing. Like I've been waiting to, um, I've been waiting to actually shoot a big game animal with these Easton 6.5 Five bowhunter arrows that I've been using um, pretty much for the last six seven months. Um, that way I could write an actual knowledgeable review versus, hey, I just got these things in the mail. Here's a review, which I just think is BS because you're just mimicking the talking points that the company's marketing department put out. You don't have actual knowledge on it, um, and I try and just be very you know very objective with everything I've you know I've got some affiliations with companies now I'm starting to get you know there are some people reaching out asking me to do reviews I think because they recognize that through the transparency it does actually help them because their customers know what to expect you know Mm -hmm. talking to a lot of engineers for whether it's Easton, Sever, Kafaru it doesn't matter what company you're talking about the biggest issue they have is really user error on the customers part just because they were expecting one thing, but they didn't really understand how the product was designed. Like a, like for broadheads, there's so many broadhead tests out there and they're like, oh, well, expandables don't open. And it's like, okay, well, and I've made this mistake before. It's like, well, you shot that into foam. Broadheads aren't designed to open into foam. They're designed to mm-hmm. hit hide and hide has a different consistency than foam and that's what makes it open up. And that's what gets you those big cuts that mechanicals get you. And you're only going to see that if you put a piece of hide or leather or something in front of the target. That's the only way to really test that kind of thing. right? Mm-hmm. But people will buy one or two and then they'll shoot them and then they'll be upset about it. and. Um, you know and I just try and give any insight into that I kind of try and reach out to the companies for background on why did you design certain things this way I'll reach out to guys that I know that are shooting the mm-hmm. same things or using the same products and I'll, I'll use that and then in all the videos and all the reviews I try and let people know like this is my affiliation with them you know they either sent it to me for free or I bought it myself because um, some people think if you buy it yourself you're you're biased and some people think if you got it for free, you're biased. So I just lay mm-hmm. it all out there. And then, you know, I let people make the determination for themselves.
1: Nice, nice. See, it's like, uh, what is it? Dang, I had a point and I lost it. Don't mind me. <laughs> all right. Well, I was but, uh, talking for a while. So it's <laughs> <laughs> So, so let me ask, like, um, how, how many videos would you say you've got out on YouTube right about now?
2: Uh, maybe a little under a dozen, and they vary in length. I've got a couple of bow reviews, a few like little, like just dumb clips I put out during COVID. Um, I did a like uh, shoot a gummy bear at twenty yards with uh, Jimmy from Humphrey, You know, little stuff like that. But um, and now that tax over, I was kind of focused on that. But now uh, there's a couple of products that I definitely. Want to uh, get like a, a video up there because I have been getting a lot of questions on them. Um, the bow hunters are one of them. The, um, the sticks for the PSC to hold it up, the, uh, mm-hmm. the tripod sticks is another one. Uh, a guy that, that made a bracket so you could use those on any bow. Um, he sent me a bracket to use. So I'm going to review that just because people always ask about that. I know I was wondering if it was even useful. Um, you know, little stuff like that. Uh, definitely going to be working on
1: over the next month or so. You know what? Let's make a quick jump on the topic because I think we've we've mentioned it twice already, which is TAC. Mm -hmm. And for my listeners who don't know, TAC is stands for TAC is TAC and it stands for Total Archery Challenge. Now, um, the Total Archery Challenge are basically is basically a three D archery shoot that goes on a couple of times throughout the summer, um, in a couple of different locations throughout the United States. It's a dope event that I hope to attend one year. But you got to attend one, um, under you know a special kind of situation. You mind sharing that with us? Yeah, sure. So last week, uh, and and I planned on
2: going regardless. TAC is one of All those right. events where. You know, I promised myself, even if I couldn't get a knock time, I was going to go every year. Um, Mm -hmm. And people might be mad at me for saying that because I'm sure it'll, you know, get more crowded every year. But um, (laughs) it's just such a phenomenal event because it's such a difficult endeavor that the people that show up, you have to be a certain amount of squared away. You know, and it's it's different from trade shows where, you know, you run into a lot of different people. These are kind of like you have to be physically fit to do it because you're on a mountain you know, you're, you're shooting shots anywhere from 40 to on a lot of the targets, the average was 60 to hundred yards and wow. with incline, you know, with different cuts, you're dodging tree branches. Um, so, you know, you've got to either be willing to throw away a lot of money in arrows or you've got to be dialed <laughs> in. Um, uh, and on top of it, you know, a lot of the, the companies that are out there, you know, you got sever, um, usually the bow manufacturers are there. Yeti black rifle coffee was, uh, Uh, A main title sponsor this year Um, you know their reps are out there and it's cool because you get to actually talk to them and learn from them and and just pick their brain on stuff um, from people who you usually only see on social media so um, I I was going there anyway I let uh, Easton and Sever know that I was going to be there I let a couple of our buddy Isaac who's now uh, he's contracted with black rifle right now Um, I know you had him on recently um, I just let them know, hey, I'm going to be in town. I've got some family in Salt Lake City. I'll be there all week. Uh, if you guys need need a hand, you know, just let me know. And uh, Black Rifle was putting together. Uh, they did a veterans adaptive archery shoot. So they took uh, a bunch of veterans. Most of them were spec op- former spec ops guys. You know, some of them were missing legs, arms. They had a lot of them had, you know, way more. Injuries, and you could even see they're just so tough that like you'd never know, but they were dealing with either shoulder, spinal issues, nerve damage. Um, but they they Black Rifle got together with a whole bunch of sponsors: PSC, uh, um, Leupold, um, SKB, Jack Carr, a whole bunch of other guys, and they put them together a package for them with hard case bow arrows, binos, everything you would need to pick up archery and shoot. Um, because I think Black Rifle recognizes how valuable that is for the veteran community to be able to like mm-hmm. get outdoors. You know, it's a little bit more peaceful flinging arrows than, than launching bullets. You know, so it's just a, a good um, it's just a good thing to get people involved in. And so I, I I was lucky to be able to help get them get some of those vets set up, uh, and then they went out and shot the course on I want to say, I think it was Wednesday. Um and we set them up at the Easton, the Archery Center over there in um in Salt Lake City, which is an awesome facility. They've got a hundred yard indoor range, and then in the back they've got, you know, I think it goes out to like 110 if you want to shoot from the building. Um <laughs> Damn. yeah, they've got a whole uh they've got like a little mini museum of like different Easton kind of the history of Easton in there. It's really cool. There's actually another Easton facility in um Uh, in up in Gainesville, Florida for kind of like the East Coast Olympic shooters, but they they do a lot of events there, too. But anyway, off topic. Um, So I helped those guys out on Tuesday and then Thursday. uh, I shot the knock on course and uh, did a little uh, social media takeover with Sever, which was a lot of fun. Um, Mm -hmm. Friday did nothing. Saturday, I was supposed to work the booth at Sever. uh, And then uh, one of the guys was shooting the course. And was like, "Hey, I don't have anyone to shoot with." And I and I was like, "Oh, well, I'm supposed to work, but uh, let's go shoot." So I kind of. Hopefully, they're not too mad at me, but uh, they still gave me the code to the uh, to the Instagram account. So I just kind of jumped on the live feed, and we shot the course again with a few buddies. Um, and uh, we shot the knock on uh, course on Thursday, and uh, my wife was actually with me. She hiked the course with me, which you can do if you you know if, if you're thinking about doing it um or maybe you're just getting into archery or you know someone who's into archery what's cool is you know you can get a, a non-shooter pass i think it was 15 bucks um and you know my wife tagged along with us and uh, that was a lot of fun she actually documented the whole thing yeah she um, took over
1: she took over the coda
2: page yeah I, yeah I saw, I saw that. that was yeah really i cool. gave her full full <laughs> reign of the coda page people were ripping me because i did not tell her to bring the right hiking boots and that's she what was, i was
1: about to say she needs a pair of hiking uh, boots
2: bro Poor girl was walking him in sneakers. I think all of her toes are bruised at this point. But uh,
1: wow.
2: <laughs> yeah, um, but it was cool. And you know, then the rest of the day we were just hanging out. You, you know, we were talking to, to some of the the reps and the the guys from PSE and Hoyt and Sever and and Kefaro, Black Rifle Lupo, like all the companies that were there um you know just getting to talk with the people behind the the companies and brands and just like hey what do you guys think about with this how do you guys Dudley was there from knock on so I you know I asked him about his process for tuning PSEs um because I shoot a PSE this year too and you know where else do you get to really do that so it's it's a special event no doubt
1: that's what's up that's what's up um let me ask you a question um any what were you shooting before you were shooting your PSC? So I had a Matthews
2: Verdix last year, and I really liked the PSE bows last year. Um, but the verdicts, I knew how good the Triax was the year before because a bunch of my, my friends that I hunt with bought them. Um, so I really wanted to tr- – I just loved how quiet and how dead in the hand that bow was. So I bought a Matthews, um, and then this year I, I went to the PSE because I liked the changes that they made, uh, and I've liked the cam system for years. So I, I bought mine in November. Um and then uh, I was like, I can't believe nobody's talking about this. And then of course Dudley signs with them in uh, in January, um and uh, yeah, that was a little bit of uh, vindication. I was like, okay, I'm not crazy. This is a good bow. But uh, <laughs> see,
1: see, All right, so so let's let's jump right into um why I really wanted to have you on the podcast today. Um, you used a phrase uh, a few seconds ago called "dead in the hand." That's actually mm-hmm. the first time since I've been I wanting to you know shoot archery, I wanted to bow hunt that I've actually heard that phrase. Now um, a little backstory um, I had shared with you, some of my listeners know. Um, when I purchased my bow, um, it was kind of an impulse buy. I walked into a big box store because my cousin was buying some accessories for his bow. I think he needed a new stabilizer or something. And um, I was just like, you know what? I'm gonna get that one. And I bought um, what do they call it? Ready to hunt or ready to shoot mm-hmm. package bow. Came with a whisker biscuit rest on it. Came with um, you know a four pin sight uh, stabilizer on it, everything like that. But I didn't know that, which is highly recommended, like that you should shoot a couple of bows first. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Like yep. I had no clue about that. So I literally just. Told a guy behind the counter, I was like, yo, I'll take that one. It was a good price, came with all these bells and whistles, got a bag, got arrows. And I did not shoot that bow Mm -hmm. until they were setting it up for me. Um, So what I want to go into, based on, you know, your reviews and your knowledge, if someone's looking to get into bow hunting, all right, let's let's be specific, into bow hunting, what should they do? What are the specifics they should be looking for when choosing their first bow? This is my favorite question. So first thing you want to look for, right, is
2: you can't buy pants without knowing your weight size, right? The the most important measurement that you need before you even start looking at bows is your draw length, which for All those right. that are totally new, right, that's how far uh, you're pulling the string of that bow back, right? Um, and with compound bows, it's even more vital because the, can- the, the bows are designed to lock out at a certain distance, right, and they can be adjusted. Mm-hmm. Um, it's what's called the the let off and the back wall, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but your draw length, if you don't have the, and we saw this with the guys we were working with last week, because they all got measured at at different stores or their local shops, uh, and the, and uh, Isaac's son built up the bow's form based on those specs. Um, and you know, not the there's different ways to measure draw length. The best way, in my opinion, is uh, Dudley has John Dudley of knock on TV has a video called archery 101 in the first mm-hmm. 10 minutes He breaks down how to measure your draw length. and the way he tells people to do it is You simply pick up your bow arm So you, the arm that would hold the bow, right? Um, you pick up that arm make a fist and you put that fist against the wall Then you measure from the wall to the corner You turn your head to face the wall and you measure to the corner from the wall to the corner of your mouth That's your draw length um, and that's, mm. that's the draw length of the bow that you're going to want to buy. The way most shops that I've gone to anyway, and that I know people that've gone to is they do some weird calculation where they measure your wingspan from tip of your finger to tip of your finger. And they like divide by 2.1 or something. That's stupid because you're assuming you don't draw a bow that way. So why would you measure your draw length that way? And someone like me, I've got it jacked up. My collarbone was broken when I was younger. So my shoulder on my left side is actually a little, Shorter than my right side. So if you go off of that measurement, I'm I'm a half inch longer than I should be um, If you do it that way. So I like for me Systematically, I like things to just line up and make sense So I'm gonna measure my draw length the same way. I'm gonna draw a bow. So that's how you draw that a bow makes
1: sense.
2: That's that makes how you sense. Your
1: yep. All right just I'm gonna I'm gonna actually check and make sure that the measurement is correct because I did what you said well in the the bow shops i've been to they have some weird um like kind of ruler that they put like it looks like an arrow they put it on a rest and you draw a bow back and it measures your draw length that way right so um they had said at one point that i was uh 29 and a half so mm-hmm. then what i did was i had been used to what you said that whole you're um arm span from middle finger to middle finger and you're supposed to divide that by 2.5 and yeah. that did come out that did come out to 29.5 but then like you said if you've got issues on one side or something like that where you know both shoulders or both arm lengths doesn't match up then yep. you're you're screwed you know when you when you set it up so I like that so your your bow arm the arm that's holding the bow you make a fist put it up against the wall and then turn your head and you measure from the wall to the Outside of um, with the outer part of your lip? Yep, the corner corner of your mouth, the seam
2: right where, you know, the corner of your mouth. And he's got Got a video where he shows uh, how to do it. Um, And it's great. I think that's been the most reliable for me and a lot of the guys that uh, the guys and girls that we shoot with. Um, I think that's a good starting point. And you can go, you can mess with your D loop and you can mess with your draw length, plus or minus a half inch from there. But that's the most accurate starting point, I, in my opinion anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, from there, right, That now you know your pants measurement, you gotta figure out what kind of pants you want, right? So mm-hmm. I think where a lot of people and myself, where I've made mistakes, and this goes for buying anything for the first time, cameras, clothes, it doesn't matter, is you have a tendency to start at the cheap end, right, and then work your way up, I really recommend researching in the other direction. So, Mm -hmm. and the reason I say that is when you look at budget items, it doesn't matter what industry you're talking about, they always make it seem like they've packed all of these features in, when in reality it's a lesser quality, it's just not, yeah, it might be there on paper, it's not the same thing as the high-end model, right? Mm -hmm. So what I recommend people do is Look at some of the pros. Look at some of the the, the top shooters, right? See the, the look at those flagship bows, those high end bows. Look at what um, you know what are some of the machining practices? What are some of the accessories? What are some of the um, uh, features that they have? And then do some research that's going to lead you down a whole rabbit hole of, OK, well, what does this cam style mean and what does aggressive cam and what does let off mean? And what? And you're going to all of a sudden start picking up all this knowledge that you wouldn't have gained going from the bottom end. And then once you start learning all of that, you can start narrowing down. Well, OK, I'm never going to shoot you know, 90 pounds or I'm never going to shoot, you know, right now I'm not going to, you know, do, I'm not going to need like a a bow that can handle whatever. Um, So I can, you can start scaling back based on your budget, uh, kind of what you need or narrowing down. Some bows aren't offered in everybody's drawings. That's another thing. So, you know, Mm -hmm. now bows are becoming more modular, but years ago it was really important to make sure that you research that because there were certain companies that weren't making, especially for those guys with shorter or longer draw lengths, like less than 27 Mm -hmm. or greater than 32, um, there weren't a lot of manufacturers making bows for those people. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's, I think that's the place to start. Start, you know, research those flagship bows and then work your way back if your budget doesn't allow you to get those top of the line things. And when it comes to bows, like you said, I think it's vital you shoot as many as you possibly can. And when you're shooting them, the two things that you really, really want to look for is when you're when you're shooting a new bow for the first time is how comfortable is the grip in your hand. Because that's your first point of contact with the bow in a hunting in any situation, right? How and mm-hmm. that's gonna determine how repeatable you can be with that bow. Is how comfortable is that front grip in your hand. And then the second thing is. How comfortable is the draw cycle for you? And and can you stay at full draw comfortably, not just on a flat range when you're pointing, you know, per, uh, parallel with the ground, but make sure when you're at full draw, you aim down, you aim up, and you make sure that you're comfortable at full draw through all of the angles. Because what a lot of people don't think about is, in a tree stand, very rarely are you shooting straight. Right. It's not the same as shooting at a, at a, at a practice range. So mm-hmm. the there's a lot of bows that it's called the valley. Right. So when you're drawing the bow back, there's the there's an initial like uh, it gets more difficult to pull the bow back because it's working on that pulley system. And then it it goes it goes over what's called the hump. Right. And then it becomes very easy and you lock out against what's called the back wall of the draw cycle. And the easy part in between the hump and the back wall, that's your valley. Some bows like the Matthews have a very small valley, so you have to make sure you're up against that back wall nice and stiff because if you move, it'll want to pull that string away from you. Uh, More aggressive cams like the turbo cams from Hoyt are like that. A lot of target bows are like that. Um, other bows like the normal Hoyt uh, cams or the PSEs or the primes, they have a really generous valley. So you can come off of that wall a little bit and it's not going to want, it's not going to feel like it's pulling the string away from you. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's one of the things when with grip going back to that, one of the things I always look for is not only is the grip comfortable, but are you torquing the bow? So, you know, you, first off, everybody needs to have like the, a basic correct grip, but even guys based on different shape of your hands, it might look like you have a good grip and you're actually still torquing that bow just based on how your hand is shaped. So Mm. what, what I, what I'll usually do if I'm picking up a bow for the first time is I'll Pick the bow up. I'll put my uh, hand in the the kind of standard position everybody teaches you, which is the riser goes along the lifeline of your palm, right? Mm -hmm. And then you want your hand nice and relaxed. Um, So I'll I'll do that. I'll draw back, and then when I'm at full draw, I'll look up at my top cam, and I'm looking to see is the string is the bow string sitting in between the tracks of that cam? Because if it's off to the side, that means I'm actually torquing the bow and I have to adjust my grip and be able to adjust my grip uh, and do that repeatedly, that way I'm not torquing the bow, right? And that's Mm -hmm. something that a lot of people, that's why like uh, a lot of new shooters that find they can't paper tune a bow, uh, a lot of times it's just their front grip. It's not that the bow is out of tune, It's just that their front grip, even though they're being consistent and even though it looks good according to what people teach, just the natural shape of their hand or the ergonomics of their arm or whatever it is, there might actually be torquing the bow. Um, And some bows are more sensitive to that than others. Bows with a skinnier handle are gonna be more sensitive, to not always, but as a rule of thumb, tend to be a little more sensitive to that than bows with like fatter grips like uh, some of the Hoyt models or the PSE models. so those are the, the biggest things, and you got to just go and you got to shoot them, and then kind of sleep on it. You know, don't <laughs> try to avoid those those impulse buys because um, we're all guilty of those, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, really think of really like how to shoot the bow, see how it feels, uh, and if you're going to invest money, you know, I, I would suggest the you know bows don't bows change year to year. Uh, accessories don't change a whole lot, so mm-hmm. if you're if you know if if you're someone that that's just got to be budget conscious, one I would really recommend you know PSE and Hoyt. Uh, I'm sure there are other companies that have really good packages. I just don't know them. All um, right, I don't have experience with them, but um, PSE and Hoyt, I know for five to six hundred, they have really good like all-in-one packages. Um, when you get below that price point, that $500 price point, especially when you're talking about a sight, a rest, a bow, a stabilizer, all those in one, they start getting really plasticky to the point where it's, it's almost, you know, they're not all really ethical to hunt with just because they don't have the power, they don't have the repeatability. And a lot of times you're going to find yourself getting frustrated because even if you're doing everything right, you're so new, it's hard to tell if it's you or the bow that's being inconsistent. So, you know, I would say, you know, you can get a mid price point bow. They're all really good now. And then, of course, the flagship bows, any flagship bow is really good right now. It's just, mm-hmm. it's like Ben and Jerry's. You just got to find the flavor that's right for you, but they're, they're all good. Um, but if you're going to dump money to start out, I would say, you know start by get a good solid bow as like a foundation but my spog my spot hog site I've had for three years the only reason I got rid of it is just because you know I sold I replaced it with another spot hog site because my buddy needed it so I sold it to him and I just got a new one but I could have easily had the same site for five years um, same thing with a rest a good rest it's you know 150 bucks but they don't go bad you replace the cord on them every now and then. And you'll have that same rest for you know five ten years if you know the the technology hasn't changed that much and it's hit a point where you know you're you're talking about marginal gains year after year. Um, same thing with stabilizers. That'd be the last thing that I would um, invest in just because that's the that's one of those things that it's just you can they're not too expensive and you can mess around with different models. But um, bow and a good set of arrows. For sure, you know, get get like a good mid price point um, if you're one of the budget conscious
1: guys. If you're not, then the world's your oyster, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, let me let me ask, would you recommend um, that someone could take it even a step further, like shoot the higher end bows, get familiar with the terminology like you're talking yes. about, you know, the valley uh, back wall, things like that. Um, And then maybe even because if you're really trying to be budget conscious, really then compare it to the cheaper bowls and see whether or not these cheaper bowls are offering what they say they are. And if they are, then cool. You just you just. You know, came off with uh, a cheaper bow that has the same qualities as one of the higher-end ones. Absolutely, I think that would 100% be
2: the way to go. Because so, like the Hoyt just came out with their Torex a couple of weeks ago. That mm-hmm. bow, the specs, the ergonomics, everything is basically a flat their flagship bow from mm-hmm. three, four years ago. Like my Pro Defiant from uh... a couple of years ago is essentially. You know, on the spec sheet and the way it feels in your hand and everything, and the draw cycle, very similar to what a flagship bow was a few years ago. But it's, you know, you're so you're still going to be able to kill with it. That the bow that I had years ago was freaking still one of my favorite bows I've ever had. But it's three, four, five, depending on what model you get, five hundred dollars cheaper than their flagship bow. So you Got can it. absolutely do that. The one thing, because guys asked about used bows a lot the the thing used bows it starts to get uh, when you're talking about more than like three years old it starts to get really uh case by case because the the biggest the biggest leaps bows have made in the last couple years hasn't been in terms of performance bows have been accurate and fast for a while now but what's really been changing the last couple years is user comfort and tunability so we talked about uh i mentioned dead in the hand before yeah dead in the hand is like it's a nice to have you know it it, dead in the hand bows that that means that you shoot and there's no vibration you know the bow doesn't bounce at all when you shoot it okay that doesn't necessarily mean the bow is more accurate it's just like it's like having a rifle with no recoil right you you can have a Uh, rifle with recoil that's still incredibly accurate it's just not as much fun to shoot, right? Like target bows, some of those bounce like crazy, and they've got a, they vibrate like a tuning fork. But guys are still shooting perfect rounds with them. It, it's not, yeah. It, it's a, a comfort thing versus an effective thing, and most of the new bows are very dead in the hand already. Um, really all of them, especially compared to a few years ago. So that's just one thing to keep in mind. Is and also finding people to work on them. A lot of bowtechs, you know, they tend to be younger guys. Those older bows are a little harder to source parts for if something goes wrong. They're a little bit more difficult to work on just because they, they weren't really designed with kind of convenience in mind. The, the technology just wasn't there yet. Um, it's so
1: – I'm sorry to cut you off, but I've seen no, that a lot on, on Facebook, uh, Facebook groups where a lot of people are selling, you know – uh used bows or at least parts for used bows because they know there may be some people out there who really love their their older flagship model of whatever it may be and they just don't sell the parts for them anymore so it's kind of so they get these aftermarket parts so it's pretty cool but um i see what you're saying though it is a kind of a sensitive area because like you said it's uh with them being older models it's difficult to to find the parts for them and whatnot it's not as or, or I should say the bulk manufacturers aren't as forthcoming with the parts as they used to be when the bow was like being made regularly. 100%. So it's, right. you know,
2: when I, I would say that three, four year mark is really when it starts to become a pain for you as, a, as an owner. You know, if at that point, I would really recommend you look at, unless you're getting a crazy deal on it, mm-hmm. I'd really recommend looking at, you know, a mid price point bow or see if you can get a leftover bow. Um, cause dealers sometimes have that and more often than not, they're willing to haggle with you if it's, they just have, uh, overstock of last year's inventory. It's like cars, right? You get a leftover yep. from
1: the year before. <laughs> yeah, I totally get you. All right, man. Um, so you know what? I appreciate that. And so I want to round out this interview with a final question. All right. Yeah. Um, yeah. You're familiar with the movie The Godfather, correct? I am. All right. So you know when uh, when Don Corleone talks about, "I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse," right? Yeah. Um, right. So what I want to know is, what piece of advice would you offer someone new to archery, someone new to bow hunting, that they'd be fools to refuse? Like, what's one thing that they uh, uh, a person, one piece of advice, one tip that you would offer a newer archer or bow hunter? Whew. That's a heavy one. <laughs> um I would say
2: don't be married to any one process. Always okay. be always be open minded and willing to learn something new, especially if it scares you. Um what what I've found with a lot of especially like the older guys that I used to hunt with and so and the guys in my family is Um, For whatever reason in archery, because it's such a head case game, right? Like it's just such a mental game. Um, Once guys have a system down, they tend to stick to it. But what happens is if you don't experiment at all, you get confined into whatever comfort zone you find yourself in at that moment. So like I know a lot of guys shooting with that, you know, if you could hit uh, the vitals at, at 30 yards, that was money, you know. But they never messed with anything to, to realize that, oh, wait, there's, some, there's something better out there. I could be shooting accurate to 80, 100 yards. I'm not going to hunt that distance, but I, it is possible to shoot that far, but it's going to require me to maybe change something that I'm very comfortable
1: with. Dude, you are so on the money right now because just over the weekend, um, I normally shoot at 20 yards within my mother-in-law's driveway, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why. I, I was feeling kind of froggy. So I left. I backed up to 25 yards and just the five yard difference shed a light on my imperfections, brother. Like, yes. I was just like, yo, when I so money at 20 yards, I'm getting such tight groupings. I bounced back to 25 yards and all of a sudden I'm like, the, my groupings aren't as tight. And I realized ah, I got comfortable. You know, shooting at 20 and just I needed to just review my my shooting process over again and really think about, you know, what I was doing. Was I punching the trigger? Was I um, was I not letting the bow fall away after I pulled it? You know, after I fired, let the arrow fly, stuff like that. I had to review the entire process again. So I totally, totally uh, appreciate what you're saying, because you just really put into words exactly what I just experienced over the weekend.
2: And, and we've all been there. I remember moving from a wrist strap to a handheld release, like it was it. And then even from a handheld trigger release to a hinge release or a back tension release, it mm. felt like it felt like the bow was going to explode in my hand at any moment. Like I just remember that anxiety. But like now, like I wouldn't replace, I wouldn't change anything for that growth that you experience going through that. That just changed because like now, like I said, this last weekend. There's not a whole lot of guys that came off that mountain not missing arrows, you know, and and I was one of them. And I could not have done that even two years. Like last year, I broke a whole bunch of arrows. But <laughs> in order to get to that point, I mm-hmm. had to make a lot of changes. And I had to really be honest with myself about like, okay, yeah, this thumb release, I'm better than most. But am I as good as I really could be if I just let go of that control? That my need to be a control freak and move to like a back tension release or or try a different grip and a different bow manufacturer than i had before and and like i even learned going shooting at farther distances i was shooting better at 60 than i was at 20 because the string angle was more consistent for me really i learned that okay next year next bow i buy it should be a longer axle to axle bow because the shorter bows, the string angle, for whatever reason, it just it's harder for me to like really consistently anchor on it. I mm-hmm. th- that's this is what I'm putting together. You know, this is still a, a new lesson I'm learning right now. But mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm gonna really look at those longer. Being an East Coast shooter, you know, we're in ground blinds, we're in you know pine trees, we're in we're in tight stuff. I just mm-hmm. always went for a short axle to axle bow, but you know, shooting at distance really taught me like, oh, there's so much more stability to be gained in a longer bow. I just gotta weigh is that worth, you know, having
1: the bigger bow. Nice. See, see, what I like is you've been shooting for a while, and uh, but you're still evolving. You're embracing that evolution because I've always been a big believer that in anything, anything in life, whatever it is, whether it be music, sports. Um whatever it is you take on, you gotta be willing to evolve, change, adapt. You know what I'm saying? Otherwise you just get you just get stagnant and fall to the wayside. So Yes. I'm well I'm a big uh I'm a big faith guy and I I usually find
2: that if something's scaring me to try, that's usually exactly where I'm supposed to be going. So (laughs) um that's how I felt with the page. That's how I felt with, you know investing in like a you know learning photography and and my shooting literally all of the best stuff um, in my life has just been there's been a certain amount of a, a leap whether that's monetarily or you know, just comfort wise or, or what, what have you. But, um, you know, the, the knowledge gained, you can't replace that. I've, I've never had a regret trying something because there's always a lesson learned. The only things I've ever regretted were, was not taking that leap. So that's kind of my, um, my thought process for everything moving forward.
1: Nice. All right. Well, you know what, let my listeners know where they can find your content. For sure. So on Instagram, it's uh, Knights of the Apex. That's
2: knights with a K. Uh, the logo's KOTA, K O T A. So uh, you'll find me on there. That's where I'm for sure most active. And then on YouTube, uh, I'm Knights of the Apex also. Uh, I got a bunch of videos on there. And, and there is a website. It's, it's just knights of the apex.com. And that'll give you links to uh, the YouTube and Instagram channels. And we got some uh, merch up there just because I, I, t- I, I make merch basically for my friends. They're like, hey, it'd be cool if we had this. So. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's uh (laughs) that's uh mostly what you'll find on there
1: (laughs) got it got it all right so prior to this interview i had shared with you um a song that i had totally i had not thought of for ages for decades to be exact right and i didn't think of until um i knew you i was going to be interviewing you for the podcast today so i'm going to close out uh, this interview with that song so when you listen you'll know ladies and gents I'm going to be playing uh, AJ Scratch by Curtis Blow uh, in honor of uh, <laughs> AJ Iaquinta so uh, man thank you for, for being on here with me I totally appreciate it bro thank you man honor to be on alright yo have a blessed day you too One, two, three,
0: four, eight. In the bro- the people are fresh there was one dj who had to pass the test and now he's down below and he's ready to play that's right you his name is aj and again i want to thank aj for coming through in the clutch and joining me today for this episode hope you guys took notes especially if you're new to bow hunting and or archery or if you're just in the market for a new bow If you guys enjoyed this episode, don't hesitate to leave me a five-star rating in the review section of this app. If you're feeling really froggy, hook a brother up with a dope review. But if you're not into all that, it's cool, because truth is, I just want y'all to stay blessed and to remember, respect the journey, even when it's not your own.